When you say, I'm living in a solar house, most people think about the use of solar panels. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of November 15th. Last week, we did talk about the uh, solar power, but then we were talking about direct. We were talking about using the heat and light from the sun directly. And this week, we shift gears to talk about the indirect use of solar power. And that includes more than photovoltaic panels. It does, But everybody thinks about PV, and yes, we're going to get into PV. Mm -hmm. That's the the main thing. And let's first talk about, um, this is an indirect use of it, the low-tech indirect solar, and that is heating with wood and growing plants for food. Yeah, heating with wood... um, Wonderfully illustrated for us this morning with our wood stove, and uh, I took a nice little shot of you uh, working on your iPhone uh, with the stove in the background. That's probably what we'll use as our photo for this uh, week's podcast, but um, that means a lot to us. We can do a great deal of warming up of our little home here with our tiny little wood stove, and it works great. The difficulty with heating with wood is it works well for Lee and Amanda because Lee and Amanda live on a large farm with lots of uh, forest around them, and they can easily get by on deadfall alone. But when you start talking about shifting that and using, you know, where massive numbers of people start heating with wood, there's just not enough wood to do it. That's right. By the way, if someone's wondering, well, wood, heating with wood, how is that solar? Well, it's indirect solar because the sun grows the trees, <laughs> as well as the next topic we'll be talking about, which is growing food from plants. The sun is certainly an important element, a critical element in photosynthesis, which plants need to, which is how they produce their, their food and they therefore uh, their nutrients for themselves. And that's how we get food out of them. Um, and that's something that makes sense for nearly everyone. That's a sustainable practice. You don't need to live around, uh, you do need sunlight coming in. So if it's shaded, unfortunately, you will need to cut down trees. <laughs> and you need, and you do need nutrients in the growing medium. And Absolutely, for most yes. of us, that's soil, but um, you could you could possibly do it in some other way. but Well, there are for, hydroponics. Yeah, for yeah. the vast majority of us, it means planting something in the dirt mm-hmm. and letting the sun provide the light that it needs to create photosynthesis. Make, and it just sh- makes sense for nearly yeah, everyone. Just make sure that, you know, you've got to have a certain amount of water. You've got to have nutrients in the soil. So if that soil is not does not have enough organic matter and therefore enough nutrients getting to the plants. Uh, You'll need to make some amendments. So, you know, that's something people can learn about as we have. um, Absolutely. And through our master gardener and and going to uh, conventions and reading on the Internet and and all. So people can get smart about that and learn even on a very small uh, lot. You can do container gardening. There are all kinds of ways that you can make that work. 
And it's easy to get discouraged and to say, well, I can't grow all the food that I'm going to need, so I'm not going to bother. If you're able to grow 2% of the food you need, you're better off. If you can grow 5% or 10% or 20 or 50 or 60, whatever you can produce from your own growing makes life simpler in all other ways. So we're just big believers that nearly everyone ought to be growing some of his or her own food, however he or she can do it. And we've talked about that as well as our wood stove and many other podcasts. So we won't really spend too much time here talking about the the growing of trees or plants for food. Except but, just to point out that they're an awfully important piece yes, of, the, of the puzzle. And that they are relying on indirect solar energy. All right. So now we're ready to talk about PV. Yeah. Photovoltaic panels. That's right. And, and, we need to start out by saying the by far the best way to prepare for use of solar energy, that is for reliance on solar energy. Photovoltaic panels. That right. And what I'm saying pointing out as as opposed to oil based right. energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, solar P V panels as opposed to what we're accustomed to, most of us is the petroleum based um, method of producing our energy. The main thing to start out with is to cut your consumption. Figure out ways you can sip energy by the teaspoonful instead of by the bathtub full. Uh, what we're accustomed to, we Americans, uh, we Westerners, we in the civilized world in general, um, are accustomed to guzzling fossil fuel provided energy. And the, the the problem with photovoltaic panels is they're great. You, we, you love to have them, but they are never going to replace fossil fuels energy just because they don't produce that much volume. I guess they're never going to unless you're just filthy rich. If you're filthy rich, you could afford to ha- have the kind of infrastructure and enough PV panels to do whatever you want to do. But, I mean, it's, Very few it's of not us practical can justify for the that. average person, right? So what you have is the need to uh, ramp down your energy consumption dramatically. Things like uh, heat pumps, out of the question. Just put it out of your mind. You're not going to run your heat pump on solar power, again, unless you're filthy rich. Um, Yeah. I mean, there are some other, there are some newer types of heat pump designs that could be more efficient than what most people are using. But that's still probably not going to run off solar. But that's still probably not going to run off solar. You're going to be looking at providing your heat in some other manner or just, you know, enjoying the sunshine. There's a lot we can do with uh, designing our home and putting using earth sheltered uh, structures and so forth so that uh, it costs us little or nothing to keep our home warm in the winter and cool in the summer. But don't plan to run your heat pump on solar power. Uh, we happen to be splurging. We've made a huge commitment, or we, we are we considering to. it. Yeah. yeah, we haven't done it yet. We haven't signed the contract. But 
we're closing in on something like 5kW, which is like 5,000 watts of solar panels. And at that size range, the cost is coming in around five, five and a half dollars a watt. Mm-hmm. Now, what now? Com- before you get too carried away and say, "Oh, I can get it cheaper," yes, you can. You can go online and get solar panels for a lot less than that per watt. Just bear in mind that for a system to work smoothly and really provide you power, you can use when you need it, you're talking about not only the panels, but inverters and controllers and batteries. And that's where the real money is. Well, I, I, and I'm Up sorry front, to say anyway. I don't know how much goes to the panels and how much goes to the other. And that probably changes, that, too. I mean, we're yeah. not trying to sell a system here or tell you where to go, but right. you can price around. That's right. And But when you start trying to think through, okay, I want to go solar, Figure five, five and a half dollars a watt at today's prices and then figure out how much you want to spend and what that gives you in usable energy. And if you are like most people, you're going to say, well, that means I'm not going to be trying to run a heat pump. Yeah. Um, And I do remember talking to a salesperson over at the Georgia Organics Conference last winter, um, seriously, you know, about his potentially getting our system from him. And once you're in, I mean, some of these, it's kind of the overhead of the system. Once you get in, you've got your infrastructure. You can add panels later, which is the the less expensive part of the the system. So it's something to think about getting started, start out, you know, you might want to make sure you have the capacity for a larger system should you want to expand. That's a good point. If we're probably planning to spend enough to get the system we expect to use for the rest of our lives, but you could easily buy the infrastructure sized larger and then start out Mm -hmm. with fewer panels and fewer batteries and then just ramp those up as you need them. Yeah, and it's like anything else. as you can afford them. Right, and it's like anything else you can invest in. You could speculate, ah, the cost of those PV panels could go down over the future as more and more people use them, as more go into production. Um, On the other hand, if we have uh, a crisis in oil production because you've got to have some way to manufacture these things, um, they might become hard to get. So we just don't know. Absolutely, And I'm sure everyone who has dealt with this knows that uh, photovoltaic panels are priced at an all-time low right now as we speak here in November of 2012. I'm certainly not banking on their going down in price. In fact, I suspect they will probably Mm -hmm. not go down and may go up. But they have come down since they first came out. So like a lot of things. So anyway, let's talk about the... um, how we might use the system. We're working to design the way we use the photovoltaic so that we minimize the need for batteries because batteries are the Achilles heel of a solar Mm -hmm. system. Um, So what we've tried to do is plan for heavy electricity consumption during PV time, that is, during the time that the sun is shining on the panels and that they are producing electricity. And let's talk about that. If it's a cloudy day, for example. If it's a cloudy day, they will still be producing electricity, but at a, a lower rate. Right. 
it, but it could it could be a very cold day. But if you've got bright sunshine, you still get good PV. And in yeah. fact, you get better PV in bright sunshine on a cold day than you get it on yeah. a uh, bright sunshine on a hot day because when panels heat up, they lose some of their efficiency. Yeah. So it kind of goes against your, you know, conventional wisdom or something to, to say. But yeah, on a cold, bright day, which is when you really want some PV, so that that's mm-hmm. uh, good news. But of course, at night, you're not going to have it. So when you say PV time, you're talking about daytime, preferably on a sunny day. Or at least daytime. Or at least daytime. Yeah, I'm, when I'm you're assuming get some, that you're going to be producing yeah. electricity even on a cloudy day. Or a rainy day. Just not day. at the same rate. Uh, a very small amount in the if it's raining, uh, but basically you're waiting for the rain to stop so you can yeah. produce power right. again. And then uh, how would we plan to use it? What about our, uh, we're, we're talking about pumping rainwater that we harvest via a system that we still haven't <laughs> installed yet either. That's but, true. But that's that's our another plan. piece of the puzzle. We are harvesting rainwater off the barn. Well, we are. We are in a position to harvest rainwater off the barn. Right now it goes into a six-inch PVC pipe that runs down the hill, but we are positioned so we can run that into a tank. Mm-hmm. Um, and the eventual plan is for that to be equipped with a first flush diverter and a filter so that when we run that into the tank, it's reasonably clean. Then we will bombard it with photo, um, ultraviolet rays as we pump it from the lower tank up the hill to an uphill tank. The reason we want to do that is that once it's in the uphill tank, if there is no power at all, we can call for water and gravity will at least provide us a flow of water. It won't be household pressure, but it'll be enough to wash your hands, to brush your teeth, to run water in a coffee pot, that sort of thing. Right. So this, this, um, the PV should be enough to make that happen. Yeah, the, the PV we will necessary. use uh, at a very slow rate. It doesn't, it doesn't have to happen real fast to pump from the lower tank up the hill to the upper tank and, and also to, provi- you know, to bombard the, the water with ultraviolet as it's being pumped so that by the time it arrives in the uphill tank, it is theoretically potable, ready mm-hmm. to drink, right. so forth. And then once it's in the upper tank, when we call for it, if we have uh, grid power, it'll be bombarded again. But if we don't have grid power, it won't be bombarded again, but it'll, it should be fine. Yeah. Well, we can always add another filtration system in the drinking, you know, down here, too. We could. So, uh, in the, drink, the, the uh, potable water areas. Um, another use, and this is where a lot of our power bill, we can tell a, a pretty big consumption in the um, summer months, especially, is for drip irrigation. Because right now what we have is a, is a well that runs off an electric pump. So whenever we drip our um, vegetables and the orchard, we are using power to pump that water out of the earth. At onto a pretty our, healthy rate because yeah. we're pumping 228 feet vertically. Yeah. And one of the, the other things that is part of our long-range plan is to begin pumping from the pond, which is right. closer to 40 feet vertically. And so with that, if we can use solar you know, PV power to get the water from the pond out to the drip lines. And, of course, that water doesn't have to be potable. It's fine for 
drip irrigation. That's so right. We, we, right. It needs to be filtered, filtered and to get filtered the debris. rather dramatically yeah, to, to rid it of debris. But once you do that, you're right. There's no real need for it to be potable yeah, water. So, so that would save a lot of money in the long run. And um, again, should we have a crash where we can't get uh, reliable electricity off the grid, then we just, this gives us a way to keep our food production up. Because if you don't have drip, in, at least here in central, least Alabama, in central Alabama, with Alabama. our raised beds that we are using yes. now, you really need to be in a position mm-hmm. to irrigate them. And we've made a commitment that you know we will be irrigating. And then, of course, whatever power is not being used for that pumping we've described would be used to, to, to do the normal functions we have, like you know running a coffee pot or washing clothes or that sort of thing, and keeping the batteries charged so that they are ready for non-PV time. Yes, that's right. But we, again, to not to beat a dead horse, but that the, the usage of the batteries needs to be at uh, a very low rate, like we're sipping it by the teaspoonful. Yeah, because those batteries can get depleted very easily. Um, we're, we're opting not to be grid-tied. Um, there is a... There are plenty of regions of the country where being grid-tied makes all the sense in the world. But for us here in central Alabama, our power, our utility, Central Alabama Electric Co-op. And I believe Alabama Power has the same policy, that they are not. I believe you're right. Yeah. Has They're sitting firmly in the lap of big coal, and they just love fossil fuels, and they have no interest in doing anything to help people like us. So it makes no sense for us to be grid-tied. If we, we could be grid-tied. We could do net metering. The problem is that um, we pay for energy at the retail rate, and we are paid for energy at the wholesale rate, yeah. which is a, a tiny little piece of what we pay on the retail side. And in a so, lot of states, and certainly in other parts of the world, that is not the case. Right. It is a so much if you're in fair, one of those areas yeah. where you are paying the same rate that you are paid for power, it makes sense to be grid-tied and do net metering, but it doesn't for us. So let's talk about what we are doing. Um, we have, um, well, we're talking about not being tied to the grid and also um, tax credits. We don't think, we think there might be some minuscule tax credit well, through the federal government, yes, nothing on the still state the level. Still, the federal tax credit is available at least for a little while. But if you live in, we're pretty sure we know about Georgia that they have tax credits. They have better good. incentives, and we have not done a study of all the states of the union, nor have we studied the rest of the world. But again, you may be fortunate enough to live in a place where your government is actually going to reward you for um, investing in solar. Uh, PV panels and, you know, the whole infrastructure and any kind of other types of alternative um, energies. And if so, great. Take advantage of it. Jump on it. We are positioning our panels on our roof in all likelihood. Obviously, we haven't signed the deal yet, and somebody may talk us out of it. But right now, our assumption is we'll be able to position them on the roof. Um, That's possible because we have a very an incline very close to optimal for solar panel positioning, and we have a roof that faces directly south. It's the right, you know, we we did this from the very beginning, knowing that we were likely to be getting to this point eventually. Um, 
if you are not so fortunate, your roof doesn't really face south or doesn't have the right incline, you may opt to position your panels on the ground where you can position them optimally. And we've seen that done. It works just fine. Mm -hmm. So uh, there is some need to rotate. Well, it's better if you can... Well, it's possible to rotate. And if if it's on the roof, you can't, right. (laughs) I mean, that's an advantage to those on on the ground is you can rotate it for optimal um, angle from the sun as that changes. That's right. You could you could opt to you know increase the angle in the winter and decrease it in the summer. You could opt even some people to follow the sun during the day and start in the morning facing east and finish in the afternoon facing west. But for us, we think it makes a lot more sense just to put it up on the roof. It's a little safer from theft and yeah, that's vandalism. another consideration um, that would be up to each individual. And if you had a flat roof, I suppose you could have the best of both worlds, put it up there. And then if it's one of those, like in an apartment building, where you can actually go up on a flat roof, you could position it and change the angles. Maybe. And, I hadn't so, thought about that, but I suppose yeah. you could. So, I mean, there are all kinds of possibilities. You uh, Just if you... Um, investigate what works best for you. I think, as you said, if you live someplace that you know you're secure, you don't have to worry about theft, um, that's one thing. If you're worried about it walking away in the middle of the night, then maybe attaching it to your roof and um, giving up on being able to change the angle is the way you want to go. One other thing, in terms of the lifetime of the panels, there a lot of them have a lot to say about their warranty. You know, this will last for 10 years, or this will 15 or these are 20-year panels. We haven't seen any panels wear out yet. Um, in all likelihood, your panels are going to last you a lot longer than 20 years. Um, it's just too soon to say for sure, but um, every indication we have is that a solar panel loses its efficiency at a very slow rate and that if you get a good quality solar panel and put it in the right place with the right installation, chances are it's going to be good for your lifetime. Yeah, so that's another uh, way to know that you're investing in something long-term that's going to serve you well and hopefully give you some relief from being, uh, from dependence on uh, fossil fuels, which, uh, of which we are running out. So we we overstayed our welcome Yeah, we did. Today. So have um, a good week. Thank you for your patience with us, and uh, we wish you well as you think about this and make your own plans. Take care. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.